Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. Are you happy I'm back? I'm happy I'm back. I'm happy I'm back in black. Well, more like caramel. <laughs> but I digress. In this week's HPI, aka Healthy People Information, I'm going to continue the discussion on prep therapy. Last week, I mistakenly said healthy patient information, but it's healthy people information. Y'all not my patients, but y'all my people. Some of y'all may be my patients. Some of y'all listen, but you know who you are. Thank y'all for listening. But as I stated last week, PrEP therapy stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis therapy, and it is used for prophylactic treatment against HIV. Are you thinking about starting PrEP or know someone who may need to start PrEP? Well, what should they do first? The first thing they should do is find a healthcare provider who prescribes PrEP. Not every doctor prescribes this medication. For example, if you go to see your dermatologist and talk to them about your rash and then throw in at the end of the visit, I'm also thinking about starting PrEP therapy. Can you send me in some meds? That doctor may not feel comfortable prescribing that medication because it isn't their forte. Ooh. Forte, I see you over there using big sat words. <sighs> Forte isn't a big word in her voice. It's not a big word. Whatever you say, you little spelling bee king. Uh, can I get the origin of the word? Latin, can you use it in a sentence? Using big words isn't my forte. In a voice, get out of here. I'm trying to do some medical information. All right, all right, I'll leave you alone. If you're considering starting PrEP therapy, you should seek a primary care provider or an infectious disease provider to discuss starting therapy. I think physician assistants can also prescribe this medication as well. So if you're seeing a physician assistant who deals a lot with people in a primary care setting, they may also be able to prescribe you this medication. In the description of this episode, there is a link that you can use to find providers in your area. Lab work must be done before starting medication. You must have HIV testing done and it must be done subsequently every three months. So once again, before starting medication, you must have HIV testing done and it must be repeated every three months. I, as a provider, also get basic labs that check your kidney function, liver function, and a blood count as well before starting medication. Why do I do this? I want to have a baseline of what a patient's levels look like in case something happens in the future, such as one of the side effects that I talked about in the previous episode. If one of those adverse events happens, I would like to have a foundation on what a patient's labs look like previously before starting this medication. So I get something called a CMP, which stands for a complete metabolic panel, and I get a CBC, which stands for a complete blood count. Just like I said earlier, I require all my PrEP therapy patients to get HIV testing done every three months. This medication is approximately 99% effective in preventing transmission of HIV sexually and 74% in IV drug users. So once again, this medication is approximately 99% effective in preventing transmission of HIV sexually and 74% in IV drug users. More research needs to be done for IV drug users in efficacy. But these medications are pretty effective. However, these medications are most effective in reaching that 99% and 74% 
if the medication is taken every day. However, as we know, no one is perfect. And so some individuals understandably could miss a dose of their medication. They may forget a day or go on a trip and forget to take their meds and therefore the effectiveness of the medication would decrease and could lead to transmission of HIV if you're in one of those high risk categories and taking the medication. So that's why we require individuals to have HIV testing done every three months. I don't require patients to make an appointment every three months, but they need to get their labs done every three months. I can put in an order for the lab, they get it done in the building, and then I get the results and re-prescribe the medication once I get their lab results returned to me. But every provider is different. So medicine is not cookie cutter and every provider is different. So your provider may require you to come in every three months to do labs or to have a discussion to make sure that you're adhering to taking the medication as prescribed. There is even mail-in kits that can be done that can test you for HIV. At the end of this episode, I'll tell you how long it takes for these medications to actually work. Do they work in one day, two days, two weeks, three months, a year, five years, 20 years? Okay, you're going too far. No, no, it doesn't take that long for these medications to work. But I'm gonna tell you at the end of this episode, how long does it take for these medications to be effective? So let's get into part two of the interview with family medicine physician, Dr. Gabriella Maris regarding health in the LGBTQ plus community. The discussion begins with health insurance coverage. So let's get back into the interview. So have you also ran into any insurance issues before? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Insurance is definitely not caught up to what needs to happen. For example, you know, you know, as a family doctor, the guidelines related to uh, female pap smears, um, cervical pap smears is incredibly complicated and it's constantly mm-hmm. changing. And so mm-hmm. what gets covered or doesn't get covered is going to be directly related to those guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little bit of a lag time, but you can imagine there's no consensus mm-hmm. <laughs> on how often you should do anal pap smears per the insurance companies. There is some consensus in the community as to how often we should be doing these. And then gender affirming surgeries are something that are, you know, not widely covered, obviously. Mm-hmm. Medications, um, all kinds of things. Um, yeah, these are definitely areas where there's issues. Right. Yeah, that's, it's a tricky subject. <laughs> As far as what insurance company, they're always like five or 10 years behind trying to catch up to the research. And then they're always about conserving money and making a, a profit for their shareholders because, of, of course, they're a business. So they're going to sure. make yeah. sure they make a profit. Mm-hmm. So what, what can individuals do of this community to kind of help themselves out to get things covered for insurance? Is it talking to their um, state representative, like federal government, talking to their insurance companies? What kind of opinion do you have on what they can do? Well, you know, um, it doesn't all fall on the patient, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. We as providers, I know you know this, like we can educate ourselves, like we become master coders and we Mm -hmm. figure out what is or isn't covered. And Mm -hmm. we know 
obviously what is the correct to put and making sure we code appropriately so that things do get covered. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, um, these conversations, um, you know, as a family doctor, making sure we have players that matter lobbying for us. So knowing that the people who matter know that these things need to be reviewed and changed and patients um, need to be having these conversations with their providers to make sure that it's on their radar um, in addition to local government. Right. Right. So we don't want to put it all on the patients too. So we can do that as healthcare providers too. We can be an advocate for the community and reaching out to our state representatives and Sometimes our voice, just having the title doctor before is kind of bigger than some of their voices when it comes from us. That's true. But I'll tell you, some of the most impactful things that have happened with LGBT plus healthcare has been from the community. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, the vast majority have been. um, And most not-for-profit organizations, um, you know, it's the people that deal with this on the day-to-day that are most motivated to change things um, oftentimes. And you don't want to minimize the fact that this community um, has really moved this agenda. So, How much do you think money plays a factor in it? Money always <laughs> plays a factor. Um, yeah, it always does for sure. Right. But these can be cost-saving things to consider. You know, the fact that things like the HPV vaccine age limit now expanded now means that there could be a lot less cost related to morbidity, related to anal cancer, throat cancer, cervical cancer. So I think these are cost-saving things that have to be addressed too. Right, right. So what are some of the top ailments of that community that you usually are kind of screening for? I know you kind of mentioned the anal cancer, but anything else we as physicians should look out for and patients as well, too. Someone may be listening and saying, oh, my doctor never did that for me. Like, let me make sure I bring it up to them when I go talk to them. Yeah, you know, um, the anal path is is one that I hear frequently from the MSM or men who have sex with men community. Um, So, you know, and that, of course, you know, if you're not having anal sex, there's no point in, in having an anal pap. Um, so again, it goes back to the question of not assuming that certain groups of people are having certain types of sex. And so, you know, that's a really important thing. So just to circle back, you know, one of the things that you know that I always talk to you about is making sure that whenever you talk to someone about their sex life, that you ask about what kind of sex they're having. I can't tell you how many straight people I see who who have a lot of anal sex and no one has ever asked them if they should be considered for an anal pap smear or, Mm -hmm. you know, people, young kids who all they have is oral sex and no one's ever asked them and they don't swab their throat for STD testing. They swab their vagina or their urine when it's missing the boat and there's no exposure at the area that we assume people are having sex. So, you know, patients also have to feel comfortable talking about what kind of sex they're having, um, no matter what kind of orientation they have. But yeah, the anal passengers is one. Again, I, I want to steer clear of stereotypes, so it's hard to kind of tread lightly on this, but there are a few things that do kind of come up. So the lesbian community, there's a lot of misinformation about actually needing cervical pap smears. Um, lots of lesbian women think that their risk for abnormal pap smears is is less because they don't have sex with men um, and they mm-hmm. assume that things like sharing sex toys is not going to put them at risk um, when the reality is 
HPV discordant, meaning one woman who has HPV and the other one that doesn't, puts you at risk for contracting HPV if you're using sex toys. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are all kinds of things. For example, um, thankfully, this is starting to become less and less, but drug use is something that, out, you know, goes undiscussed a lot of times. There's a lot of, um, unfortunately, some meth use in the clubs, um, mm-hmm. especially in Atlanta. Um, it's something that I always ask um, my young men that are in the club a lot. You know, trans men and women, um, trans women in particular, are often victimized. You can imagine as a trans woman, it's very hard sometimes when you're to get to get good employment. And so oftentimes trans women, um, there's a large uh, sex industry, unfortunately, and sex workers who identify as trans women because it's hard to get the employment that they want. Um, and so screening for violence and assault is really important in that community. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for the trans community in general, whether or not you've, quote, had bottom surgery, you still have to be getting your regular screening with what we call your natal sex, so your birth sex. Um, so if you're a trans man, but you still have a cervix, you still need a pap smear. Or if you're a you know trans man and you still have breasts, you still have to get mammograms, and that can be really hard. Like I remember when I got my first um, breast imaging at um, I'll, I won't name the facility, but everything is like save the boobies, pink, pink, pink. You can imagine if you go into a mammogram suite and you want to put on your pink robe and watch HGTV, you might feel a little uncomfortable. Let's just say um, a person not part of this community, not a physician, how can they be an advocate? How can they be helpful? Yeah, you know, a little bit can go a long way, um, Mm -hmm. at least in the beginning. Um, And so um, I, I meet so many people that are just so worried about fumbling with their words um, that they just abandon um, their kind of desire to be embracing. And the honest answer is, you know, so many people from this community have just been marginalized that all they really want is for someone to be open-minded and actively listen and to be embracing. And so that is the key to just listen and, and to be willing to learn and, and to, to kind of embrace that opportunity. Okay. All you got to do is be a listener, be willing to learn. It's very simple. And then also you got to loosen up when we have these sex talks <laughs> as far as physician and patient. Yes, it kind of gets awkward for you and it get awkward for us, but don't take offense if we ask you certain questions. We're not trying to be nosy to be nosy. We're trying to be nosy to get the proper information to help you out so you can live a long and healthy life. That is true. And I will tell you, Randy, that literally nothing phases me anymore. I mean, like <laughs> me nothing phases me. And very genuinely. And so we got to challenge ourselves as doctors to just get comfortable with that. Like people have sex as part of the in-person and they do all kinds of stuff. Um, And so, yeah, no, I hear you. Right, right. We can't judge every book by its cover. We shouldn't be doing that. We even have to have those awkward conversations with grandma and grandpa. As <laughs> That's right. Born. That's the reason we got a syphilis problem here in Atlanta in our elderly community. <laughs> right, right. You never know how granny hurt her hip. She told you she fell, but when she came to the office, she didn't tell me she fell. <laughs> she fell on something else. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you had to leave one last word, what would you leave? 
Oh, Randy, that's a hard one. Uh, (laughs) I know, we've talked about so much. (laughs) Find a doctor who's going to listen to you, no matter who you are. You know, as a primary care doctor, um, I love what I do. And I truly care about my patients. And there are lots of doctors like me out there. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your identity is, what your orientation is. A good doctor is a good doctor. And there are lots of us out there. And so, you know, I challenge you to have these conversations with your doctor. And if they don't have the right answers and you give them the opportunity, you can find somebody else. So don't settle because I promise you, I've trained so many good doctors and I know they're out there. And I'm one of them. That's right. (laughs) So we're going to bring Dr. Maris back for Randy's random questions. I know she's so excited about that. I can see her big smile. Everybody loves this part. All right. So you ready to get this started, Randy's random questions? I'm ready, Randy. All right. So we have Dr. Maris back for Randy's random questions. She's fired up. She's ready to go. So we're going to go with question number one. So you're from the great state of South Carolina, correct? That is correct. All right. What word would you use to describe South Carolina if you had to just pick one word to describe your great state of South Carolina? What word would you choose? We got you on the hot seat. That seat is burning. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's why it's Randy's random questions, because you wasn't expecting that. People are going to think I'm a total hypocrite when I say this because of what we just talked about, probably, but welcoming. I think we're really welcoming. State. All right. So why do you say the word welcoming? You know, again, there's a, there's a reason why South. People are just more loving um, and really care about their community. And yeah, I I guess that's why. Okay. Okay. All right. So you come from a big family, correct? I do. Yes. Yeah. How many sisters? I have three older sisters. Three older sisters. Okay. Who is the best athlete among you and your siblings? (laughs) Well, I'm the only one who hasn't run a marathon. So clearly it's not me. Um, Although I'm an Avid Pelotoner. I'm just kidding. Um, not really, but <laughs> hopefully we'll do this. Um, yeah, probably my eldest sister. He's 18 years older than me. She's a beast. She's very athletic. Yes. Okay. What makes her the best athlete? Uh, what you should have asked me who in my family is the best athlete, and that's definitely my father, not my sister. My father, oh. who is in his mid-80s, works out twice a day, every day. Wow. It is amazing. But all, all of my sisters are like that. They all work out. We all work out pretty much daily. What is your dad doing at 80 years old, exercising twice a day? What kind of exercises is he doing? Yeah, so he does uh, strength training for an hour in the morning, and then mm-hmm. he rides his bike for an hour in the, in the afternoon. It's insane. Okay, so he has a Peloton, too. He, he doesn't have a Peloton. He's <laughs> an old man bike. He's got, like, a recumbent push bike, um, but he's like the bionic man. Every joint in his body is replaced, and yet he still does. Okay. I hope to be like him when I turn 80 and still be able to exercise and go, I just start doing, well, not started doing, but I'm doing CrossFit and I hurt my back recently. I'm like, I'm too young to be hurting my back. I'm too yeah. Young. Don't come in seeing me with rhabdo, Randy. That's oh. CrossFit right there. <laughs> no, one, of my, one of my friends, he recently had rhabdo because of CrossFit. 
Yeah, it's he, for real. Yep, yep. He texts me. He's like, my arms are so swollen, I can't get my shirt off. I said, <laughs> you need to go get checked out like ASAP. Like, you need some fluids. <laughs> All right. So we've been talking about a lot about the LGBTQ plus community. So this kind of question kind of ties in a little bit to that. So what would you put at the end of a rainbow? Oh. Yeah, that's a little unique question right there. Yep, so that that community, one of their symbols, of course, is the rainbow. So I said, what would Dr. Maris put at the end of a rainbow besides a pot of gold, something unique? (laughs) You can choose whatever you want. What would you put at the end of the rainbow? Oh, this has nothing to do with the community. When I think of rainbows, I think of whatever I would most want and whatever I would most want would definitely be food related. So I'm a foodie, as you know, I love a good dessert. And so probably some chocolate. Um, I love chocolate, but mac and cheese, pizza, the whole shebang. <laughs> so many random things. Sound like Golden Corral is going to be at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> Said chocolate, mac and cheese and pizza. That's true. You know, my rabbi, sorry, when I was little for my birthday, took me to Ryan's for my birthday. I do love a good, uh, do those even exist anymore, Ryan's? Yeah, I'm sure they do. Uh, There's probably a Ryan's somewhere in a rural area. They had the best rolls at Ryan's. And it was no steak and shake, right, Randy? No, it's definitely no steak and shake. (laughs) I used to go to Ryan's sometimes after basketball games and I'll put like three or four of their rolls in my pockets. Meet them on the bus on the way going home. All right. So next question. You have two lovely children. If in the future they happen to listen to this podcast, what message would you like to leave your two lovely children? Well, first of all, mommy loves you. Um, (laughs) My bright, strong, beautiful children who are going to find their way in life um, and change the world however they see fit. I am always here to support them no matter where I am. All right. Daddy loves you too, of course. Of course he does, yeah. (laughs) And so the last random question. So I'm giving you two tickets to go to Coachella Music Festival over there in California. Okay. (laughs) Like, please tell me what that is. Right, right. So you're going to the music festival in California. You have to drive, unfortunately. You have to drive from Atlanta all the way to California. And you see a random celebrity on the road. Who do you hope goes to the festival with you? You can pick any random celebrity. You just happen to be driving. You're passing through Texas and you see this celebrity. You stop your car immediately. You say, hop on in blank and come to this festival with me. Okay, well. Well, only because it's music and you immediately made me think of musicians, but I love so many people. Brandy, these are such damn hard questions. Um, (laughs) But the first person that popped into my mind was Madonna. Okay. And then the second person was His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Two random people that I would not expect. You're picking up the material girl and then you're picking up the Dalai Lama. So yes. it's going to be an interesting car ride if you see both of those two people in there in the car. I don't know what type of music y'all are going to listen to on that car ride. Oh, Madonna has like a whole like Kabbalah spiritual. We could find some commonality there. Okay. Okay. I'm sure y'all have a fun conversation about all <laughs> kinds of things in that car ride. All right. So that's the end of Randy's Random Questions. We can let you off the hot seat. You can breathe. You can relax a little bit. I thank you for sitting down and talking with me. Absolutely. Anytime, Randy. It was a pleasure. 
Well, that's it for part two of the interview with Dr. Maris. Did you learn something? If you learned something, let me hear you say, yeah. If you learned something, let me hear you say, yeah. Let me hear you say, on call with Dr. Randy. I don't know why I'm turning into a Baptist preacher right now, trying to do a call and response, but I really hope you all learned something listening to this episode. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly suggest you go back and listen to part one of the interview with Dr. Maris. She really gave some good information and I started the discussion on prep therapy on part one of this interview. So go back and listen if you haven't listened to part one of this interview. Once again, thank you, Dr. Maris, for joining me on the podcast. So let's wrap up on prep therapy. I left you all on a cliffhanger at the beginning of the podcast on how long does it take prep therapy medication to actually work? Well, it varies depending on the mode of possible HIV transmission. I'm about to get super detailed here, so you may not want to play this around kids if sometimes you're listening to this podcast around kids or children. So that's your warning. PrEP therapy takes seven days to reach maximum efficacy in individuals receiving anal intercourse, known as botomy. That is for both men and women receiving anal intercourse. PrEP therapy takes 21 days in individuals receiving vaginal sex or IV drug users. And lastly, there is no data according to the CDC on how long it takes individuals participating in inserted vaginal or rectal intercourse known as topping. So once again, it takes one week if you're a bottom and it's unknown how many days it takes if you're a top to reach maximum efficacy of PrEP therapy. Lastly, 21 days if you're receiving vaginal sex or an IV drug user. Remember that this is if you're adherent to taking this medication daily. So if you're doing it every day, as you should, if you're taking this medication, that's when you will reach maximum efficacy based on the number of days and your possible mode of HIV transmission. Also, please use condoms if you're a high-risk individual because as I stated before, this medication is not 100% foolproof. And if you're an IV drug user, seek rehab, go get some help so you can get out of that high risk category. Okay, that's it. I'm all talked out on prep therapy. I hope you really learned something on prep therapy and we'll send it to someone that can use the information or use it for yourself if you're considering doing prep therapy. Be sure to rate, like, and subscribe and share this podcast with others if you really enjoyed it. Thank you to those who have rated already and left a comment on various platforms. I see all your likes and your comments and I really appreciate them. I still have a real good rating on Apple Music and I'm proud of that. I got a five-star rating on there. It's got to be the jokes. I definitely know it's the jokes that keep the ratings up high. After learning something, that's the second thing I hope you do while listening to this podcast is just get a good laugh. Like laugh so hard that in public that you're embarrassed. Like I really shouldn't be laughing this hard. Next week, I'm going to have on Stefan Hawkins, the owner of a vegan restaurant in Pennsylvania. We'll discuss his vegan restaurant and his new coffee shop bookstore that he opened recently called Good Brothers Cafe. So look out for that episode coming next week. Once again, thank you all for listening and stay healthy physically and mentally. Now go and save the world. Someone has to do it. 
Why not you? Be an inspiration to somebody this week and go save the world. Y'all have a good week. And if it's not the beginning of the week, have a good weekend. Have a good something. Y'all know what I want y'all to do. Just go have a good week, weekend, Monday, Tuesday, Lunes, Martes, Mierka, Les, Holiday. Have a good week.